All right. Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I said welcome back like, I mean, <laughs> like there was a commercial break or something. But I, I think that was just a subconscious thing because we just finished another episode. But uh, um, as always, though, uh, I'm Kyle Bird. I'm your host. And uh, my my co-host is also present. <laughs> hey, I'm Matt Farley. <laughs> yes. Yes, there he is. Um and we're joined by some some special guests, um, and uh, Matt, I'll I'll let you do the honors this time, is introducing everybody. All right, so we have Mr. Jared Faust. Who uh, this is probably the first time that you're going to hear him on our podcast. Although this is the second time he's actually recorded an episode. So are we going to make Jared, him tell us where yeah, we can find him to, and all that stuff where again? Do you, where can people find out about all the things that you do? Who Jared? are you and where can people find <laughs> find your things? Uh, my name is Jared Faust. I am an aspiring uh, tokusatsu-style filmmaker, uh, focusing on handmade effects as much as I can. Um, my current project is called Xenofauna, uh, which is kind of a... It's a production company, but it's both. It's mostly me. But you can find, um, yeah, I have uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, Twitter, all under the handle Xenofauna, which is X E N O F A U N A. So yeah, that's that's my deal. <laughs> we are also joined by Mr. Kevin Derendorf, who's been on our show countless times, author of Kaiju for Hipsters. He runs the Mazer Patrol blog. Say hello, Kevin. Uh, it's, it's it's Dr. Kevin Derendorf. Thank oh, you very much. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Kevin Derendorf. And then we have a, a very special guest, uh, Kevin's fiance, Amanda Whalen. Am I saying your last name correct, Amanda? Yes, you totally are. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, Amanda, tell us about yourself, because if I do it, it would be terrible. <laughs> That's very honest of you. Um, I'm... I, I guess I could be described as a freelance translator, although I don't do so much freelance work anymore. Um, I lived in Japan for three years. I used to work as an in-house translator for a firm in Osaka. Um, did mostly technical translation. So um, I, while I am the one who did the translation for the Ultra Q subtitles, I will stress I don't normally do that kind of thing, so it's not perfect. Uh but, you know, Kevin's obviously very much into tokusatsu, etc. So, thought it would be a fun project to do. And who knows, maybe we'll do more things in the future. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely going to badger you uh, until the end of time, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fine. You know, it was a good experience. I had fun doing it. Um, so, uh, Ultra Q the movie, Legend of the Stars from 1990 is, is what we're talking about. And the, there's... The, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here, uh, but the the film is notoriously obscure. I think even in it, I, these days, I think even in Japan, um, and you know, we'll we'll maybe talk about why. Um, but yeah, just as uh, directed by Akio Jisoji, who is one of the classic Ultraman directors and has made plenty of feature films, and I think a director that we all love and and a lot of fans of of kaiju love and you know um it, amanda mentioned she she did subtitles for this now uh the way i guess you know i'll, I'll say the way that it came about um 
recently, uh, maybe a year or two now, um, but someone was like, you know what, I'm I'm tired of Zone Fighter just not being subtitled. And so it was like, okay, well, this guy put together a, a crowdfund, surprisingly flew under Toho's radar, and <laughs> <laughs> now it's subtitled. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's lately there's been a lot of these kind of projects going on um so yeah i I, in our like group chat i just threw out the idea because i it had come up like oh yeah why is this movie not been subtitled you know it's ultra q what what gives and i just threw out the idea like can kevin maybe ask if amanda would be interested and we can pay her (laughs) for her services and um lo and behold now we have ultra q the movie subtitle and and there's been a lot of other kind of things popping up, you know, a lot of, uh, like, Ashiro Honda's The Blue Pearl and Skin of the South um, have been subtitled the same way by other people, um, uh, Toho's movie Terror in the Streets, so it's pretty exciting that these obscure movies are finally, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if no one else cares enough to do it, like, let's get off our asses and do something about it. Um, that being said, we do not condone piracy, Uh, (laughs) um, i'm sure you can find a japanese dvd somewhere even though i'm pretty sure it's out of print and maybe never going back in print but it's out there it exists so uh yeah um i've got it on vhs oh yeah there you go um also uh the the raw uh version without any translation is on youtube um so yeah if you're crafty you know you might be able to do something with that anyway uh, I, I will say the the one on youtube is like 240p um and pretty terrible <laughs> uh if anyone is interested and needs some help you know feel free to contact us privately uh but uh yeah um but you know i mean you can you can buy a japanese dvd <clears throat> anyway um <laughs> So yes, let's talk uh, Ultra Q the movie 1990. Um now I this is where I'll pivot to Kevin and just kind of ask like what's the deal with this? Why is it uh so obscure even in Japan? Like what what's up? What what what's going on here? So I don't have all of the details, but part of the part of the problem is probably that this is not uh, fully a fully a Tsuburaya production product, and that this is a co-production between Tsuburaya Productions, which is the company founded by Eiji Tsuburaya, and Tsuburaya Entertainment, which is the company founded by Eiji's son, Akira Tsuburaya. And these and, are completely different companies, despite having the same namesake. So, yeah, right there, you're getting into some strange waters and uh just for clarity you know this in case people don't know this uh because of things like this it is not part of the mill creek deal um and so i mean this movie is almost doomed at this point to just fall through the cracks yeah much like uh like uh ultra cute dark fantasy as a has a similar um issue behind it so even though it is an Ultra Q thing made by Aid Subaraya, 
that does not uh, instantly uh, clear up all of the all of the issues with it. Um, on top of that, um, because of the nature of the production, they went to Sega for merchandising instead of the usual Bandai sources, and those characters are kind of not as popular or well known for that reason. Also, because Bandai is not actively pushing those characters, so that's another another kind of wrinkle in the um, fabric of its obscurity. Uh, and um, uh, originally it was Kon- Shusuke Kaneko and um, Kazunori Ito who would later like write and direct the Gamera trilogy, but they were going to do it, and now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they were also settling on like some of the classic Ultra Monsters, and then... Uh, I think what you said that Bandai had a stake in those characters and they couldn't use them and then they left. Is that accurate or semi-accurate? That sounds correct. I mean, definitely Ito and and, and Kaneko were working on a a version that was completely different. It was like an anthology piece with sort of classic ultra kaiju. Yeah, the the thing that I'm 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 reading it now on the Japanese Wikipedia and it's um yeah, so it was it was supposed to be an anthology of three stories and Garamon and Kanagon would appear, but Bandai had exclusive rights to the characters. And so Sega was shut out of it. And so even so as far as 1990 Bandai's fucking up. So <laughs> 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 Um so, so uh, it's been released on VHS and DVD in Japan. Now, uh, Kevin, is there anything to as to why um, those rele- the DVDs may be out of print, or why it most likely wouldn't be released on Blu-ray over there? Uh, my my best guess is that they want to to deprioritize. Um, that production, there could be some rights issues, again, because of the multiple companies involved. There are some Tsuburaya Entertainment properties that are well um, well represented and, and available stateside even, but uh, because you have a lot of fingers in the pie, that's, that's my best guess as to why um, this is probably not well um, mm-hmm. represented. And then also, I don't think it did particularly amazing at the at the box office right, either. Right. And uh, our friend Connor, who's like the ultra historian in our kind of circle, was saying like even more recent books that Tsuburaya has put out have omitted the movie. Um, yeah. So it seems like if anything, we're there. We're we're on the path to further obscurity instead of the opposite. Yeah, interesting. the The movie is a Bandai visual release for the DVD, so <laughs> it's curious. Well, Bandai is a company with a lot of different wings, also. So. Sure. Yeah. It's possible that because the movie features like a cult being slightly creepy, that they were like negatively impacted by the the sarin gas attack in Tokyo in '95. It's a possibility. Maybe hmm. kind of slim. I don't know. I just thought of that offhand. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously we're all going by, like, the best speculation we we have, but there's definitely a seemingly active effort 
for whatever reason, legal reasons or whatever, to kind of e- almost erase it <laughs> from from history. So uh, it it felt especially um, important that we fi- you know the we're the movie you know maybe we could at least see it <laughs> you know and i'm just happy yeah. to see the damn thing <laughs> um so uh yeah uh and as far as why maybe it didn't get a fan sub before um and uh you know amanda translated and then jared timed the actual subtitles um and so maybe i don't know if they have anything more to say is that uh I mean, in addition to Ultra Q historically not really getting a lot of attention from fan subbers from, for some reason, like the original Ultra Q was getting fan subbed in like the early 2010s, and they never finished because Shout Factory had had released the the DVD set. But yeah, it's it's bizarre that something so relevant, culturally relevant, as the original Ultra Q just kind of sat there forever um, the ultra series yeah really fell by the wayside with american western audiences because i feel like you either have like the pure kaiju fans who like honestly mostly godzilla like there's a lot of people you can't even convince to watch camera sometimes mm-hmm. so you <laughs> right. know if especially if they're just godzilla then they're not going to really give a shit about ultra q um and even the people who branch out beyond that, they're not really going to give much of a shit about Ultraman. And then you have the Toei fans, who it's, a, it's Kamen Rider and Sentai, and maybe the occasional metal hero, and they won't hear about anything else. Like, there's people I've met who, like, like wait, Godzilla is Tokusatsu? I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Ultraman, yeah, Ultraman exists in a weird, like bubble (laughs) where like the kaiju fans it's two hero for the kaiju fans and two kaiju for the hero fans um and and then of course the whole chayo debacle too adding another wrinkle to that that, yeah that just can adds confusion to everything um i will say that you know finally with the mill creek deal uh i've seen a lot more people coming around to it and what I, i really noticed uh american kaiju fans gravitating more towards ultraman was in that area between 2004 and 2014 where we didn't have any new godzilla or gamera and they were just like well there's some of this i can watch like that was uh around the time you know ultraman tiga was um I, yeah, I think was... yeah, I, I, I the DVDs of that were at least still in print, and and so there was kind of a ramp up there, and that was when um, a lot of uh, I think mostly Chinese um, broadcasts uh, would have like uh, English subtitles, um, the Hong Kong bootlegs. Yeah, that that would have yeah. like these broken English, so it, it was made watchable. That to was, Americans, because yeah. that was my origin story. Because Final Wars came out, and then it's like, well, what else? And that's when Ultraman Nexus is out. Yeah, get- yeah. So I, I think that drought kind of brought more attention to it. But um, yeah. but yeah, historically, Ultraman, especially and especially Ultra Q stuff, it just kind of weirdly gets ignored. And it was it was pretty evident that nobody gave a shit about this movie. So you yeah. know, hey, we want to see it. Let's do it ourselves was kind of the idea and um uh and yeah and and i think um in addition to just being with the ultra q brand that gets sat, was getting sat on a lot 
by fan subbers. Um, this movie is. It, I, I, well, yeah, so uh, it's very dense. It's very dialogue heavy, and a lot of the a lot of uh, stuff that's very specifically um, relevant to Japanese culture and Japanese mythology. And we'll we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but um, very Japan specific. Yeah. Um, so I, I, right there, it's not. It's really not marketable. To Americans and probably, you know, I, I would think maybe even fan subbers might be like, yeah, I, I could do all this, but who's going to pay attention? And then, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I will say, despite it being Ultra Q, um, which most episodes are kaiju heavy of, of the original series, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would really call this a kaiju movie. Uh, it's it's a kaiju movie in the same way, like. I don't know, like Gorath is a kaiju movie. There is a giant monster, and there are the tokusatsu monster scenes, but it's a very small part, very little screen time, um, and it's mostly. Then um, I mean, this is where we'll kind of, kind of get into the plot and all those other things, but it's mostly a, you know, a mystery. Um, I think it's been c- compared to the most to give someone a point of reference to the Da Vinci Code. Um, and uh, for a lot of Westerners like us, you know, imagine watching the Da Vinci Code and not knowing anything about <laughs> Da Vinci or art history, you know, and then you can see where this is really just a not this this movie is not uh, friendly to those that aren't, um, I guess, in tune with those things. Yeah, if you want a point of reference, uh, year before this, uh, Akira Soji directed a movie called Tokyo the Last Megalopolis which was released here. Uh that's even that, more confusing by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very much a, a big slog of like oh if you don't know your like high show era pop culture you're just going to be like sitting there scratching your head a lot of the movie. Yeah, I'll I'll chime in just to say that I agree with a lot of what's been said. I think that one reason probably that this movie hasn't got that much attention is because it's sort of it it doesn't fit neatly into a marketable genre it is a tokusatsu film but it's mostly about like the mystery and the human drama and all of this folklore background with just a little hint of of giant monster in it so it's i almost questioned who their target audience was because i i seriously doubt that you know children would be too interested in this film but also you know traditional kaiju fans might say that there's not enough kaiju action, and then people who are, you know, into serious mystery dramas maybe don't want to watch a, taku- a tokusatsu film because they think they're above that or whatever. <laughs> so it kind of runs into that sort of problem. Sure. Um, That's but, the miracle of the bubble economy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a fascinating film, but um, it was very difficult to translate. Um, and there were not any Japanese subtitles available that I could find anywhere. So I did have to do it all by ear. Um, And, you know, I spent a lot of time on Japanese Wikipedia looking up place names and on one notable occasion reading the Nihon Shoki in classical Japanese (laughs) trying to figure out what the hell they're talking about. So, like, I I think at one point, like, when I was in the middle of doing this, I, like, messaged in the group chat and was, like, or told Kevin to message in the group chat and was, like, I'm pretty sure in order to do this completely properly, you would need a PhD in Japanese studies. <laughs> um, so 
how many hours did it actually take you to to do all that? Because like I feel like you turned it around really quickly compared to when like we were like, hey, we're gonna do this, and then you said yes, and I feel like it 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 was very fast. I was I was quite impressed by that. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I think I quoted two weeks originally, but it took me just shy of three weeks to do it. Um, and it was sort of fortuitous timing for me because I was in between jobs at the time, so I could focus on it pretty well. I think I was between. When did I start my job? Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's COVID. Yeah, it's COVID time. Yeah, no, no one knows what time is anymore. Yeah, time is a Kafka-esque nightmare. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the point being, I had a decent amount of time to just sit there and crank it out. Um, I forget exactly what I quoted. It took me like somewhere between 20 and 30 hours to do the whole thing, I think. Um, yeah, it's... It was it was fun, but I can definitely understand why someone who was like an aspiring fan subber or even like an established one would be like, "Nah, I'm, I'm not <laughs> do that." So you're well, saying they- next time we try to get you to do something like this, pick something easier. <laughs> I mean, I, yes, but but you know, there is kind of a satisfaction in being like, "Hey, we did this thing that nobody else was gonna do." And now everybody has access to it. So, you know, um, (laughs) Jusoji did a comic story around the same time that was also full of references. And that was also a nightmare for a man. (laughs) I want a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, you know, I'm in all seriousness. um, I'm I'm willing to take on the challenge. I I would thank you if you asked me to do something easier and lighter. But you know, whatever. (laughs) Well, you put together like there's a document that you put together which has a lot of like the notes and stuff. And which, oh my gosh, was was immensely helpful. It, yeah, it's. It, it, I felt like it was like, oh my god, this is a history project, and I have to know this to get the movie. And I think that I can't imagine how daunting that would have been to have to also do the translation of everything else going on. So thank you, seriously, because that's um, that's yeah. a big thank undertaking. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, that document is really helpful because you know they'll make a lot of references to this, you know, a famous Japanese uh, myth or folklore story and it's like okay well obviously if i'm japanese i'm probably gonna know what that is but like if i'm from anywhere else i'm not gonna know what the hell you're talking about so just to have a document that has like a little paragraph of like okay when they mention this name it's a reference to this story and then it's like okay the movie makes sense now um so yeah no the the little liner notes that were put together for this were uh very helpful and um, really put a lot of things in the in the context of, you know, what the the native audience would have known that we won't wouldn't know. Um, I, I, I do think I do think at this stage it's worth pointing out to anyone who's listening to this that the film is not impossible to follow with without doing all this homework. Like if you're just listening and like, well, I guess I'm never going to watch the film because Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, don't let that deter you. Yeah, like you can you the gist of the film is pretty well summarized in some of the narration, I feel like. Yeah. Even if um, like the finer details are still kind of it, hard to It's un- really just add, helping co- with the context of everything. Like, I mean, if I'm I I don't want people listening to this to think like uh 
you know, quite famously when the the movie Dune came out, um, you know, screenings they would ha- they handed out literally a glossary of all the <laughs> all the gibberish terms and and things that were in that movie. And like, this is not as in- intimidating as that. It's just like, okay, um, uh, this. Uh, dead body was found at this burial mound and like okay well why is that a big deal and it's like well that burial mound is is it you know to paraphrase uh it's sacred ground for this reason or that like so it's more stuff like that where like yeah you could watch it and enjoy it without it but it's it's really recommended that you have the same context for these things um that can as as closely as possible match you know the understanding that a Japanese viewer would have for sure yeah I mean I I don't want to I don't want to downplay the notes don't get me wrong I just also don't want to make it seem too impenetrable <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. it's not that in, it's not that intimidating yeah I definitely think they made it really accessible you know intentionally but if if you're really nerdy about the details you can you can have fun reading along and be like oh okay that's what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, like big overarching ideas, I mean, it does have a lot in common with, like, you know, legends of, like, the disturbing of, like, Native American burial grounds and stuff like that. Yeah, and those are concepts we even see a lot in kaiju media, like, I mean, yeah. GMK. Um, yeah. And, and also, there's a whole underlying thing of this really, like, a general theme of almost the genre, even, even going to, you know, the narrative that it spins about it might not be the best but even going to something like king of the monsters where it's the recent movie where it's like yeah humans are meddling with nature is a problem and like you find that in geez (laughs) so many (laughs) kaiju movies um so so these are pretty it's still dealing with pretty universal concepts it just yeah it does it in a very unique way um so uh yeah i guess now is probably as good a time as any. Um, I will utilize Jared for this since uh, oh, no. <laughs> he's the guest and he uh, probably is the biggest fan of this movie in this conversation. So uh, I will give him the honors of giving us, uh, you know, a plot rundown, a plot synopsis. Uh, okay, I'll I'll do my do best. Your, yeah, I'll... do your best because uh, this yeah it's a dense film and will yeah anything you don't address we'll probably get into elsewhere. Okay, so we follow three main characters, which are um, their redos of the the trio from the original Ultra Q, which is Jun, Yuri, and Ipe. Um, and in this version, they're all they all work for the same news organization. And there's a string of killings at different burial grounds and sacred sites throughout uh, Japan, which happen to coincide with. Um, it's they call it they call it an ancient history special that their that their television station is working on, and the guy who uh, is is kind of the producer the guy kind of spearheading the project goes missing, and so the story is this kind of cat and mouse as they you know they're trying they're trying to track their friend down, you know in various sacred sites around Japan and they get mixed up in this kind of ancient aliens uh thing there's like a weird robot character that shows up that they're trying to like what's going on here um and and then there's also a giant monster that starts showing up you know and and so it's all the mystery trying to 
trying to track down their their friend and all the things that come that surround that. Is that is that okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would I would add the the uh, just to kind of um, add a couple things that I think are pretty relevant. Um, sure, you know, and this is where I will say, you know. We you have to talk about spoilers when talking about a movie like this, but we also recognize that it's very obscure. Um, so if you are interested in seeing the movie, um, turn this off, find it by whatever means. <laughs> Feel free to contact one of us and um, <laughs> and come back to it. Or if you just don't care, I mean, feel free to keep listening. Um, but uh, uh, a big thing is a lot of this uh, stuff is tied into uh, this. I guess I'll I'll say I, I I don't I hesitate to use a word like cult, but um, a, a group of people who are very in tune with the um, you know ancient Japanese religions, like uh, I don't know the name of it, but um, the one that um, uh, like with the Ama divers and the the dragon uh, mm. the dragon prince or dragon land or whatever <laughs> i forget what they call it but uh uh and and it's all around the same place geographically as the um the myth of uh one of you guys knows this um, there you go um yeah. taro which was a character in in jap he, he's a character in japanese folklore that uh disappeared into the ocean after saving a turtle and um uh met you know the 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 dragon princess the dragon or princess. yeah and and um was given a box and they said whatever you do just don't open it and then when he gets to the surface he opens the box and then he ages like a hundred years or something it was loosely adapted as the episode uh grow little turtle in the original ultra q series um, very loosely, might I add, because I, uh, after hearing a lot of people say, oh, it's a version of the story, like, I read basically that story, and then I watched that episode, and I was like, yeah, this is nothing like this, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, it is hilarious to me, though, that out of all the episodes that this, that this movie calls back to, it, it kind of calls back to that bizarro one the most. <laughs> right, yeah, and then um, the idea, though, is that this, uh, you know, the the village surrounding those sites are, in fact, have this kind of alien lineage. Um, you know, we're getting into kind of this chariots of the gods, kind of Prometheus territory. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, the... the 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 idea is that their missing friend is has discovered this and discovered that he shares relation uh with with these uh these i guess ancient aliens who are living day to day as as regular japanese citizens and then you know at night they go and perform their cleansing rituals and 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 those things um and so yeah, I- uh so yeah the this is another thing where like yeah you don't have to know that actual story but if you yeah. do you really do get kind of a little bit more context for how the mystery of the whole thing unravels yeah for sure i think and it's it's um i guess now we're we're I don't know, yeah uh so when i was watching it last night i think the suggestion it's very subtle but in the opening credits 
I think the suggestion is that their ship crash landed on Earth. Um, because you see in the little Magatama, you see the, the, the ship reflected. And then there's, there's an explosion superimposed over it. And then you see wreckage in the shot immediately after. And I, you know, I don't think it's supposed to be explicit, but I, I feel like the suggestion is that you know you have these this alien people crash land on Earth and then integrate into our society. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other story, the other folkloric story that's relevant is uh, the bamboo cutters. Uh, it goes by a bunch of titles. Uh, What's the bamboo cutter? Bamboo cutter. Kaguya. Yeah, yeah, Princess Kaguya. Yeah, the, there was a Ghibli movie that adapted that. Toho did their own version, um, Princess from the Moon with Toshiro Mifune. Um, and yeah, also that, yeah, that also gets into the whole like alien visitors in ancient Japan um, kind of idea. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the movie. The movie basically takes the idea that all of these legends of of celestial maiden, maidens. And all of these legends of dragons ultimately derive from the source of this the, these alien visitors that that came to us. Yeah, yeah, um, and <clears throat> and uh, so yeah, the the movie itself has a lot to say about preserving nature and um, you know overstepping. I guess our bounds as a society, you know, the, the big thing that the aliens are upset about is all this ancient, um, uh, like ground is, is being developed by, uh, you know, real estate people or, you know, Oh, we can turn this, uh, historic site into an attraction. Um, we can build a theme park around this one. And it's like, uh, you know, trying to commercialize these very important, historical artifacts and they're like hey you know maybe this uh, you can like not do this you know this is wrong and so and so that's where that's where they uh overlap with our main characters who are trying to make a tv special about it you know and and they're like well if you do that you know you're going to be drawing all this attention to our village and you know maybe maybe we don't want that you know maybe see if we're cool with that first (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so things go bad (laughs) after that. (laughs) Um, of course, uh, Nagira is the, the, the kaiju that shows up and, um, he only has a few scenes. He has one where, um, his tail, uh, sabotages a construction site around this ancient burial ground. Um, you have, uh, one where... The I guess I'll say like I don't know the main alien character this uh, um, Mayumi yeah 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 um, she's getting cornered by the police and and she calls for him and he comes and wrecks some stuff which allows her to escape and then at the end where uh, he shows up and basically just makes sure that this TV special doesn't happen. Uh, we'll we'll maybe get into the ending in in a little bit, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if if that was kind of a rambling uh, synopsis, we apologize. It's just this is a very <laughs> this is a very dense movie with a lot to unpack, um, and it I guarantee you, if you watch it, you probably won't find it as complicated as it is to explain. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, this is where, yeah, I, I've been blabbing enough. So let's let's talk about what we think of the movie. I mean, who wants to kind of go first and kind of give some some general overall impressions? I'm going to go first because I think I'm going to be the lone dissenter in saying I didn't love it. <laughs> All right. However, however, you ever watch something and you're like, either A, I missed a bunch of stuff or like my head just wasn't, my headspace was wrong or something. That's how I feel about this movie. I feel like at, I'm going to go back and rewatch it and I'm going to give it another chance. You didn't do that before we recorded this, did you? I did not have time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, work. You probably Thank should you have, I'm just saying. <laughs> I should have. I should have. I did not because I have two children and a job that keep me pretty busy. Hey, I get but it. I, it's I, just next time, you know, finish your homework is all I'm saying. <laughs> hey, man. I got, my homework was uh, feeding my family, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. Go on. No, I, I think this is one of those things where when I watched it, I I don't know. I, I wasn't prepared for A, how dense it was and how much I had to like really think and pay attention to it. And when I flipped it on, I was like, I, I glossed over some things. There are some good things about it. I think it felt a bit long in the tooth. And I think because I was kind of in the wrong headspace, I just didn't take out of it what I could have. You were vibing with it. As the kids would Dude, say. Dude, I was not at all. I really wasn't. I think, honestly, like, in the first 15 minutes, I was, like, I picked up my phone and, like, made the mistake of, like, looking, you know, at my phone for, like, five minutes. And then at that point, I'd missed probably 25 different references that Amanda <laughs> had chronicled in her, her liner notes. So, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, on, looking at, I'm looking at what 15 minutes is in the movie, and, yeah, that, that, that feels pretty deep in the movie already. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And, and so, like, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it except to say, like, mentally i just didn't take it all in the way that i should have which is my bad right i can't fault the movie for that yeah um that's fair there's some good there, there's some good things about you know hey we should be protecting um specific sites and we shouldn't be just destroying things and you know how we interact with the environment and how we even like report on what's going like there's a lot of cool things the movie has to say but like for me at the moment it just i was just like eh. i i wanted to be anywhere else for whatever reason Maybe that's just 2020 for me. Maybe that was COVID. Maybe it was work. But, like, honestly, I think that is why I probably didn't enjoy the movie as much as I could have. Mm. So that that's my rant. <laughs> well, thank you for prefacing, uh, <laughs> prefacing your thoughts with that. Uh, it is one of those things where, like, I mean, now that I've seen it, I, I do enjoy this movie very much. But it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'll probably have to be in a certain certain kind of mood for me to you know rewatch it uh, i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a fair shake and give it another chance it feels like for me this is a similar thing to what i experienced with god delivers to the smog monster which i absolutely used to hate mm. and like it, it it's grown on me a lot and i think bird and i talked about that especially on like our bono episode but like i think this is a movie that upon re- repeated viewings i'll appreciate it significantly more than the first time i watched it okay um all right. Well, uh, I'll let I'll let the rest of these folks. Uh, Jared, what about you? Uh, well, I I fucking love it. Um, like honestly, I, I remember when I first watched it. I said like, oh, top ten, top five, and then I actually did like a top twenty five kaiju list, and it wound up slightly outside of that because there's a lot of movies I really like. But um, uh, yeah, no, I I was just. I mean, I'm like Akio, like as a filmmaker, Akio Jisoji 
is very inspiring to me. So like being able to see, you know, one of his feature films that's like actually Tokusatsu and not some of the more harrowing stuff that he does when he does feature films. Um, that was really great. Um, like the, the cinematography, you know, it's, it's very, it's that very Akio Jisoji, you know, like lots of like really languid tracking shot or not tracking shots, like dolly shots and, and fisheye, um, uh, uh, Junkichi Oki, I believe, did the special effects, and he's the, he was the main special effects director of Return of Ultraman and a bunch of other stuff. And you know, it it, it feels very much like um, like Tetsuyoshi Nakano uh, coming to Godzilla '84. You know, after all of his like tiny little budgets on the '70s Godzilla movies, and then he finally gets a budget, and holy crap, you know. Um, you know, so I, as much as I love uh, Oki's work on Return of Ultraman, like, like here, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it's like really next level. And then, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I tend to like really weird, uh, offbeat takes on the genre. Like, you know, I, I'm kind of kind of over, you know, the umpteenth version of Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms that I feel like we get a lot of times. Um, and and so like yeah, it was just this really bizarre, unique take on Tokusatsu that I just really vibed with. Um, yeah, I I absolutely adore the movie. <laughs> I could go on for hours, <laughs> but I'll let someone else talk, and I'll talk more later. <laughs> well, I I dig that uh, early Heisei era aesthetic, and you know both the. Uh... You know both things like the, uh, the the big monster stuff, which I'm I'm assuming that's what Shinji Higuchi might have worked on, um, but uh, but also things like you know this this robot flying through the woods and shooting shooting uh, ice pellets at people. Yeah. Uh, you know it's it's just a a lot of uh, a lot of real practical physical effects and uh, the design work is is excellent in terms of like the overall structure of the movie. Uh, I like it, um, but I also, like, it reminds me of a lot of other things. Um, you know, specifically, it reminds me a lot of Mamoru Oshii's works, where it's very uh, procedural, very investigative, um, uh, you know, lots of people sitting around talking to each other about some reference to something else. Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Oshi worked a whole lot with Kazunori Ito. And this also reminds me a whole lot of Shusuke Kaneko's Gamera trilogy, as well as the giant monsters all out attack, uh, you know, in terms of that sort of, especially with Gamera three, you know, going through mythological documents and being like, Oh, so this is this thing. And, um, you know, even the, the Magatama is, prominently featured at the the beginning of this movie so uh just going through like oh here's the here's this sort of pseudo-scientific explanation of this uh paleolithic artifact yeah the the joke i made to a lot of people when i was working on timing the subtitles um was hey if you really loved the mythological discussions in gamma 3 but you wished it was two hours long (laughs) <laughs> so I got the movie for you. 
Also, the way that Jusoji uh, sort of like frames some of his shots and pans the camera and stuff, it reminds me of what Kaneko was doing in the Gamera trilogy as well. So, mm. um, you, you know, there's other there's other framing that is is not what Kaneko was doing that I think is admirable. You know, the way that he, you know, deliberately juxtaposes on frame so many times. Here's this ancient historical uh, reverent place. And here's construction equipment or just trash in the background or the foreground yeah. or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Which is sometimes stated, but a lot of the time just sort of like incidental to whatever's going on. Yeah, like they, they do sometimes state it outright, like you say, but yeah, no, it's like it's it, it really permeates the film even when it's not being pointed out. Um it, especially in the ending. Like really, really thrown in your face. Yeah, um, Amanda, you had to deal with this movie more than anybody. <laughs> how, how do you feel about it now that you know you've maybe been able to take a step back and and take a look at it? Sure. Um, well, I, I definitely, I really like this film. Um, I liked it while I was working on it as well. Uh, although I. I do kind of feel like I have it like actually memorized because I like listen yeah. to it so many times. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you know, I'm really into Japanese folklore. I guess sort of superficially, I'm a bad former Japanese major. Um, but you know, I liked going through all of the references to different things and you know figuring out what they were talking about and like learning about all this kind of archaeological stuff and. I thought there's, you know, there's a lot of really great shots in the film, um, like in when they're in the, the the forest by the bamboo cutters rock or whatever. There's some really great scene with like the lights coming up, mm-hmm. um, and then like towards the end of the film, like a lot of the shots that you see like on the sacred island are just really gorgeous. Um, yeah, I did feel like it was a little bit slow paced at times, but um, you know, overall, I, I thought it was it was really interesting, and it's really trying to do something unique. Yeah. Um, hey, you, I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, oh no, I was going to say, it's e- echoing what Amanda was saying. Like, I, I do probably have some bias from having timed the subtitles, so I had, I think it was like four days that I did it over. Like all this time. Like a whole a scene would take me a couple hours, and so I'm marinating on on the lines in the scene for a couple hours at a time. So there is a degree to which you know a, a certain amount of memorization to what's going on, you know. Mm. Um, so that that may that may sway my my opinion a little bit, but also I you know I think in the tokusatsu genre, there's really no one who's a visual stylist on the level of Akio Jisoji. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, it's not to downplay his TV work or his non-tokusatsu work, but it does make me wish we got more, um, we got, like, a feature length, more feature film tokusatsu movies from him, you know, like an Ultraman movie, or, I mean, imagine him doing a Godzilla movie, I mean, I I think that would have been fascinating. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah. uh, Aside from Bono, I can't think of anyone besides Jisoji that approaches filmmaking from such an abstract. Um, I don't. I don't want to say artsy fartsy, but a more abstract kind of surreal. Uh, 
um, like approach to 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 this it's, kind it's, of movie. It's expressionistic, I feel like. Right. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Right? Yeah. yeah. What's uh-huh. wild to me is that it was such a struggle for him to even get this made because, uh, you know, after, you know, they, they put out a, a compilation movie specifically of his episodes of Ultraman, but then when he wanted to make, you know, Monster Bible into a movie, they're like, nah, and then Monster Concerto, uh, which was also sort of shot down in the in the early 80s and then then that sort of is what evolved into this but like well i for normal people explain what those things are <laughs> i mean what are these what are those concepts that he was really having a hard time getting made uh not a whole lot is known about them aside from you know that they were kind of um the first one was more of an ultraman thing and then the second was more of an ultra q thing um but you know the, the studio went from was kind of courting Kaneko uh, before uh, before uh, this movie finally got uh, got realized but like he and uh, uh, is it Sasaki yes um, the screenwriter yeah yeah they they had the they had a concept together that was uh, basically another another ultra Q thing uh, b- before that and um, it's not clear how much of that made it into this. Um, Sasaki had some other stuff that was um, in other TV series that uh, kind of had to do with some of the, some of the ancient mythology uh, along similar lines. I know that much. Um, And they, they toyed with some things in, you know, the uh, operation mystery episodes that they did together and things like that. But um, I, th- I think that there is there is definitely some some marination of these ideas, and like the Ultraman Monster Bible, I think also had some you know combination of religious symbolism going on. So, and uh, Sasaki is another interesting name because like if you look at his filmography, it's like Tokusatsu TV shows for kids and these like artsy existential dramas <laughs> that he did with uh <laughs> is it uh oshima is it oshima is that the guy's name the in the realm of the senses guy uh, uh i'm not sure death by hanging hold on i i'm i nagira god damn it i know this guy's name i'm having the worst uh brain fart right now just <laughs> give, give me give me a moment <laughs> um I, I will say to what to what you're saying. I really Nagisa appreciate- Na, Nagisa Oshima. I call yeah. him Nagira. That's the name of the damn monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I will say to that to that point, like that is something that I really appreciate about Jasoji is that some of like the the content can be toned down for his Tokusatsu stuff. Like you know, there's some pretty harrowing stuff in his other movies. Um, but like the, the philosophy and like a lot of the big ideas that he likes to concern himself with, he doesn't really dumb those things down. Like he brings all that with him still. I, that's one of the things I really love about him. Yeah. Uh, Sasaki was also the guy that, um, was responsible for, you know, if you ever watch Iron King, like all of the, uh, you get these like persecuted minority group characters that are, that keep showing up as villains. Like, Oh, that's a connection. <laughs> <laughs> is he like uh what what's with that? Is he like uh 
I think he was Okinawan. I was I was gonna say that like that would have been like my the guess. Tetsuo Kinjo thing. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if that's also why Tetsuo Kinjo got the uh, another reason why. So in in the lab, the Ichinotani lab, there's there's two portraits hanging up. It's kind of a blink and you miss it moment, and one of it is the original Professor Ichinotani from um, Ultra Q, the '66 Ultra Q. Um, and then the other one, I, I wasn't sure who it was until I saw in Jack, Japanese Japanese Wikipedia that it's Tetsuo Kinjo, who is you know one of the main writers for the early Ultra series. But I, I wonder, aside from his prominence in that, I, I have to wonder if that was if that was part of it, like a, a kinship. Yeah. Well, that's know. really part of the Ultra Q movie is just a nonstop parade of cameos. This is true. <laughs> yeah. So who else shows up? I think the I think the uh, is is there is there boss? Is that the original Ipe? No. Who, um, the original. Where does he the, sh- he shows up though? Right. Where does he show yeah. up? Uh, he shows up talking to their boss in one scene. Um, okay. As I don't, I'm not entirely sure what his function in that scene is, but it's it's. Uh, He's delivering news of some sort to the boss. The boss is an Akio Jisoji staple. I don't know his name off the top of my head, um, but he shows up in. I know he showed up in the Deslope murder case, which I really enjoyed, and he plays the human form of Metron in the uh, the Metron episode of Ultraman Max. Um, but he's been in a bunch of Ultra series stuff too. Um, and then. Uh... The guy that plays Hayata shows up as a detective in one scene. Um, the guy that played Arashi shows up in the opening scene. Uh, I think is a detective. He's, is he a detective yeah, or a reporter? In the opening scene, he's a detective, and then the like the the chief inspector of that scene is Captain Muramatsu. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, there's also. Um, and I don't know what how accurate this is, but the English credits on like IMDb say that Hiroshi Tsuburaya uh, plays uh, uh, his father Hajime Tsuburaya in in a scene. So I don't know. Was there? Uh, he shows up as a cameraman, but I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah he doesn't play huh. Tsuburaya, as far as I know. All right. Well, I yeah. I, I, we would have to take a second look at the actual Japanese credits, but that's yeah. strange. But yeah, he, he shows up, which was fun because I had just finished Ultraman Gaia, and he's a he's also a reporter in that. So that was that was a fun little connection. Um, you know, one thing that I I did like that no one's really talked about much, at least among us, is uh, I I liked the score quite a bit. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. The composer is a guy named Maki Ishi, and. Uh, at least his English credits on like IMDb, the only two movies he scored are this and Tokyo the Last Megalopolis. So I don't know if there's maybe more stuff that is on, you know, a Japanese IMDb or whatever, but uh he was mostly a composer of uh contemporary classical music. So not necessarily a film composer. What's cool about him though is that uh from nineteen fifty two to nineteen fifty eight, he was a student of uh Ikira Fukube's. Nice. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, then, um, yeah, I guess he passed away in 2003 at, uh, at 66. But, um, yeah, it looks like some of his stuff is, uh, like some of his classical work is is out there, too. So I, I could be completely... Oh, okay, I found it. Um, so I was talking to, to Christopher Marty. Shout uh, out to Chris. 
Yeah, he and makes so that he, lovely music you hear play us in every time. <laughs> um, so he's he's saying uh, I I he was telling me back in June that he was doing a deep dive into the Q movie about the the composer Makiishi, and apparently his only two film credits are this movie and The Last Megalopolis. Mm-hmm. Um. He was primarily a composer for the stage uh, and did like all sorts of like avant-garde and modern classical. And the Ultra Q score, he apparently composed. He composed all the pieces ahead of time, and then they pulled out sections for the movie. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, which is which is something something that 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 uh, apparently like that's not entirely uncommon apparently hitchcock did that sometimes with uh was it herman yeah bernard, bernard herman, yeah. herman yeah apparently hitchcock would do that sometimes um on the last jedi apparently ryan johnson and john williams did that to a degree um where they yeah they were they would do some music ahead of time and then and kind of edit the movie to the music hmm. i wonder if they maybe get the script in advance or something like that perhaps well, I imagine the uh, the original Ultra Q was probably scored in a similar fashion, also because they have so many you know reused cues from episode to episode. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of Japanese shows. I don't know how it works for American shows, but like I've definitely seen scoring sessions for Japanese TV shows, and yeah, they have like you know this cue is for this character, this cue is for this character, and then they just use sections of it throughout the the series. Um, how did you, cause I mean, the, the original ultra Q is, I think among everyone here is probably a favorite. Uh, and then, um, even in Japanese pop culture, it does, it really does have, you know, the, the, I guess, prestige of like how we would talk about twilight zone or outer limits here. Um, where, you know, those monsters are very well known in Japanese pop culture and everything. So on that note, how did you guys feel about, I guess getting into the characters, like how do you feel about the new versions of, you know, the the original trio? They are very different. <laughs> I mean, they are what they are for the movie. I, I I like the movie as it is. If I'm gonna compare them, like yeah, I I agree. I feel like the general consensus is that uh, they did Yuriko dirty. <laughs> yeah, she's she really she, like, plays a backseat here where she was kind of in a lot of ways the driving protagonist in a lot of the uh original Q. Yeah, I mean in the in the original like Showa Ultra series, she's like the best female character they created. Um and then yeah, she's just kind of a a, a side note here. Uh but I mean I, I feel like they were trying to do kind of a love story sort of thing with, with June, so I guess that's kinda of why they put the him as the main character. Um, but I mean, yeah, like as far as this movie goes, I love it. I have no complaints, but like compared to like, you know, the characters, uh, I don't think they measure up as well, but I mean, also you have the fact that what, like under two hours compared to like 13 hours of material from the original series, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I thought, I thought Ipe was, was, was strange, um, he was mostly fine by me, but he made some very strange noises that that were. 
because uh, a lot of times when I was timing the subtitles, I wasn't really paying attention to the... Um, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to the visuals. There was a, the, the subtitling program had a waveform. And the weird noises that Ipe would make would both like be really shocking compared to the rest of the soundtrack and also like stand out really prominently in the waveform. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> and then I'd have to like, I, like for those moments, I'd have to go over to the visual and realize that, oh, Ipe's making weird sounds with his mouth. <laughs> this Ipe is way less of a goofball and more of like, he's like the nervous sidekick guy. <laughs> who's always like just wants to leave any stressful situation <laughs> they, i feel like they try and do the goofball thing with him but like he comes off as uh kind of a he's dick <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very angsty yeah um well i guess uh how do you guys feel about uh nagira the the monster I dig it. It's uh, it's sleek. It's uh, you know, it's it's not over designed, which I I feel like is such a temptation when you feel like everything has kind of been done before. But you know, much like a much like a Gomera or something, it's like there's not a whole lot going on, but what's there is solid. So it's yeah. crazy. Even doing like a Google image search of Nagira, like I mean, you there's pictures of them, but there's really not that many. Yeah, I mean, I, I whenever I'm trying to find pictures, I, I usually type it in in Japanese, and even then, it's very difficult to to find. Like yeah. the best pictures are of a figure they put out at some point. I dig him though. I mean, it's the kind of reptilian Godzilla design, but he's got like the long, uh, like bull horns, and he he does have a little bit of a case of derp face going. I do have to say. <laughs> um, uh, that being said, though, I, I, I do like the design. He does have Biolante's roars, which is interesting. Mm-hmm, yep. Which, actually, Biolante's roars were recycled from Sayonara Jupiter. Uh, so, you know, if you want to get... It's fine. Yeah, if you want to get technical, <laughs> you know. Um, and then... Um, uh, um, but, yeah, the way his... Uh, I, I really like... A lot of the lighting around him, you know, you you yeah. get a lot of his silhouette, which I think really works for the kind of atmosphere of this particular movie. I I really love um, Nagida, and I mean, I feel like there, I feel like there's been a, a, several people who are like, ah, I feel like it's not enough. I feel like, you know, like I mean, I agree. I feel like Nagida feels compared to what the story is i could see nagida feeling more natural than like an episode of fireman <laughs> um but like the the more I, it sat with me the more i learned to love it i think yeah. i think i think his facial expression is what really does it for me <laughs> uh, uh norioshi ikea uh, yeah. was, was a super guy so yeah, it was. I think it was like his second to last design he ever did, as far as monsters go. What else uh, did he design? He he took over Ultra Seven. Uh, okay, midway so he goes year. he goes way back. Way back, yeah. He he he. Um, yeah, so somewhere midway through the series, uh, Tol Narita left, and Ikea took over, and he also did um, he did work on Return of Ultraman, Silver Mask, Iron King, Fireman. There you go. Um, 
and and other stuff. He, oh, apparently he did a monster for Ultraman Tiga for Akio Jisoji. <laughs> right, well. um, so yeah, uh, um, yeah. I really like I really like Nagida, and I think I think one of the things that really gets me about Nagida is the eyes. Um, aside from just the general expression of kind of being being over it is kind of how I describe him, kind of like uh, Garamon looks in the original series, just as kind of like, <laughs> ah, fuck it. Um, He's definitely got dirt weird. face. Yeah, something about his eyes are very weird. Like, it feels <laughs> like, it feels like, like, you know, like when they... He like, has depression, that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it looks like he has depression. <laughs> well, I think what's really uncanny about his eyes to me is that for some reason they gave him extremely realistic eyes, so it feels like, like Gaira, you know, where it's like Haruo Nakajima's eyes actually showing to the suit. Um, and to me it feels really uncanny because they feel like an actual suit actor's eyes, even though that's physically impossible given the, the nature of the suit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, uh, we have the, uh, I guess, uh, ro- the alien that's also referred to as a robot, uh, Wada, 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 yeah, Wada yeah, there you go. It's, it's, so that's, that's one of the things. It's not called that in the movie. Uh, it's called that in all of the like books and things, but in the movie they don't call it that. So that's part of the part of the confusion there. Although they do talk about in the movie being descended from um, the sea god Watatsumi, so that's yeah. where that yeah. comes from. Yeah, and they have um, and and like its initial form is uh, the same as like I guess the statues of that. Uh, thing (laughs) well it's it's a a dogu so um these these ancient you know like 2000 plus year old artifacts that people think are fertility related right right but you know because of the weird eyes a lot of people sort of speculate that they're like astronaut goggles and the sort of squat and bulky so they're like oh this looks like a and and they mention that uh the 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 "Quote unquote goggles that it has, or what might have inspired Eskimo. Can I say that? Is that is it? Isn't Eskimo like not a good word now? Uh, yeah, I think I think Inuit is. is okay, yes. <laughs> uh, I caught myself. So don't cancel me, people. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, based off the the sunglasses or whatever that they wear, right? Yeah, it's like the like the slit the slit. To, to minimize the light coming in. There's there's a really funny sequence where um, uh, Ichinotani hands a pair of the 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 Inuit style sunglasses to June to try on, and he puts them on and they're they're black with a little slit in them. And so for a moment he looks like one of the Exilians from Monster Zero. And he, and <laughs> the, the line is what? So this is supposed to look like a, like a space alien, and you know of course the line. Well, I mean it, it's all you know it's just speculation <laughs> um, I, I love the commitment that Ichinotani has to knowing everything about everything to the point where somebody brings in a sketch of like a dogu doll he's like oh yeah I can tell you all about this here's the book yeah. like, I actually got the glasses right here like, <laughs> yes I, you know, actually right before the glasses scene um, there's there's a guy on a computer 
And I guess he's supposed to be doing research, but I assume this is a Sega product placement because he's playing some sort of fighting game. <laughs> I noticed that last night when I was rewatching it. This is definitely a movie that, like, in the internet cell phone age, like, the plot would be, like, ten minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, we can't find this guy. Let's just call him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, that, yeah, that's a big <laughs> plot point. We're like, why didn't you set a rendezvous point? It's like, well, he said he'd call us. Like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's like how, uh, you know, horror movie directors always joke that like cell phones ruined horror movies <laughs> so like that's why they always have to have that scene of like oh i don't have any service <laughs> um but yeah that thing uh it has three forms for some reason there's a statue one and then there's i guess it's probably like it's normal form maybe but more it looks more like a cyborg and then there's the human form as a uh, mayumi um yeah. who who we we talked about you know um when you look at the 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 cyborg form, uh, it's it's hard to place maybe the inspiration, but uh, it looks heavily inspired by the art of um, Suriyama, who yeah. is like a cyberpunk artist, who also inspired uh, the design of RoboCop. I will just say that, um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, they there's uh, uh, I don't know who's running the Ultraman wiki, but it says it's possibly inspired by C3PO, which I mean maybe who doesn't like Star Wars? But uh, I would I would trade. It obviously goes back to Metropolis, right? I would think. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, that, that's one of those things that like all, every everything from from metropolis to c3po to sodayama like every possible inspiration is such a big deal that yeah. like does it even matter at this point right. <laughs> and if, 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 if you look at the poster art that's definitely like it's so suriyama that i i was convinced that he just did the poster which i guess he he didn't but i have been able to find no proof that he did because i was convinced yeah. that he did too yeah but like I, he, it, it like it didn't even register that he might not have like that's yeah. how much how like I was like oh yeah obviously he did that but the, yeah the one thing that I will say is that looking just as like an artistic anatomical perspective it does look a little stiffer than Sorayama's work does mm-hmm. um, so I think it's definitely someone kind of aping him and just yeah. not as good not as good a, a renderer um but yeah the um I guess. Uh, well, I guess in, this is where we'll definitely get into spoiler territory, which if you're cool with, great. If not, you know, I mean, find the movie. Um, but uh, one thing I do like about this, and um, I'm just now, I just now got the uh, Neo Ultra Q Blu-ray as well, so it's something that this movie has in common with that is, um, I think this movie and that show were both kind of, made for people that are maybe uh maybe grew up with the original ultra q or just older audiences in, uh, in general you know the original ultra q was still ve- very much made as you know something for for children in a lot of ways as you know bizarre as it could get but um and i love the original ultra q is my favorite ultra anything but there is the kind of um you know it's obviously inspired by outer limits twilight zone but it, and probably because it skews more towards a, a younger audience, you know, there's certain episodes where it's like, 
you're not, it doesn't get as cynical as, you know, Twilight Zone or Outer Limits might. It doesn't have those, like, you know, those shows are notorious for, you know, having some pretty downbeat endings or twists or something. And this, and like I, I mentioned, Neo Ultra Q, you know, they're really not afraid to go there in a way that the original series might have been. Um, and one thing I really like about this movie is the kind of downbeat ending, which, um, yeah. now, now that we're kind of wrapping up a bit, you know, I'll, I'll, I feel a little bit better about just spoiling. Um, but, uh, so, you know, the, our, our main trio are finally, um, you know, their, their missing friend, uh, who has turned out to be a relative of these, this ancient, alien race they he has gotten uh, them to agree to kind of um show them you know their what they're doing and um and they're like and he's uh, uh june is like you know i really don't think we can cancel this special but you know i'll i'll try to i'll try to steer it off course i'll try to get it you know uh you know, try to try to let them know, like, hey, maybe this is something we should revisit later on down the line. Like, let's not go forward with this. And so, you know, you get June talking to his boss and like, hey, you know, there's so many things we don't know yet. And, you know, let's let's just not do it now. Let's let's work on something else. Uh, it, yes? June, June, June bullshitting to his boss is one of my favorite scenes, I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, you know, this is just a theory. It's not confirmed. Like, people are still researching this thing. Like, like do, let's... do you want to wait till like, everyone puts their findings out? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, what are you trying to get me to do here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and his boss is kind of not buying it. And this is all after, like, he knew that they, they went to this, this place. And so he corners uh, Yuri... And he basically bullies her into, you know, hey, spill it. And um, so they start moving forward uh, with with the special. And, um, you know, right away, you know, as soon as word gets out, um, you know, June is having a drink with his uh, one of his buddies at the bar. And he's like, yeah, you know, I heard they're moving forward with it. And you know they're they're talking about it and people know about it and there's already like real estate guys over there looking at the location and June's just like oh my god what what happened <laughs> and and so sure enough you know they go and visit and they're like uh yeah you know we we thought maybe you could handle you know learning about about this uh land this culture this village without you know, bringing all, we thought, you know, we gave you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you could handle knowing about this and it not turning into this big deal where you're going to come and infringe on us. But you know what? That clearly can't happen. So yeah, we're, we're all just packing up. We're, we're, we're you know, we got our spaceship. We're, we're piecing out. And, um, you know, it ends with, with, uh, you know, the spaceship flying off and, in the movie, there is like uh, where where the this um, this group congregates is um, close to this island called I think the Eternal Land or something like that, and it's like you can't even they can't go there. They're like this is sa- that's like the most sacred land. Like nobody's allowed on there. Um, and then as the spaceship flies up, you see you know it's it's blowing all this debris on the island, like, there's, like, beer cans and trash everywhere and plastic bags, and it's like, yeah, even this untouched land was desecrated, probably because of all this pollution that might have washed up 
uh, on the shore, and they're just like, you know what, we, you guys, you guys are horrible, and we're out of here. And well, I don't, I don't, I don't think the the trash is. I think the trash is on the mainland. Well, I like my version better. <laughs> <laughs> but the point still stands that we can't sure. be trusted and we're terrible. Um, well, yeah, in the very next scene. Well, just, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. no, no. Well, yeah. The, then the the very next scene is kind of weird because like we get back with our characters. They're all at work, and they're like, "Well, yeah, that all sucked, right?" And then like their boss just like falls asleep in a chair, and they're like, "Oh, it's too bad we couldn't send him too." <laughs> and it's like, what? Why is this? Like, that's a weird like. Well, specifically, specifically, what stands out to the very next scene, what really drove it home for me, though, is that they're making a lot of references to Noah's Ark, and it's kind of nonchalant, so I didn't think much of it at first, but then it's like, oh, like, they're on Earth, they're just trying to vibe, clearly late-stage capitalism won't let them, um... So, you know, like like the Noah's Ark thing really seems like they're just leaving us to kill ourselves. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's just like that that was kind of the biggest moment of oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I mean I, I haven't I still haven't actually watched um Jisoji's Buddhist trilogy. Um, but I have, I have watched some essays about them. Just I, I haven't gotten to them yet because they are very heavy. <laughs> Um, but the, the stuff that I've read about them, like Mandala directly deals with like a bunch of like, just, I, I don't know that Jisoji was necessarily a communist, but, uh, Mandala directly deals with various schools of communism. And then the, the film that immediately follows, um, my understanding of the plot is basically a dramatization of Marx. So like he really, he definitely has this very kind of leftist viewpoint i I notice and so it does really feel like the a lot of the reading of the film can be seen in this perspective of the the late stage capitalism destroying everything and the noah's ark reference just basically being like well i guess we're fucked yeah (laughs) it's just they can't they it's just like we we can't have the sacred ground or artifacts without trying to uh come out like you know uh, modify it, yeah. right and, and and that we we can't just not touch it you know we have to find yeah. a way to turn it into an attraction or make money and monetize it, it yeah. yeah and and it's it, and it yeah, like i said earlier it goes hand in hand with every with themes that you see all the way from everything all the, dating back to king kong in the lost world all sure. the way to yeah. king of the monsters of like we can't just not mess with things yeah <laughs> You know, yeah. I, I like that it ends back in the office, also because it is kind of a like, okay, well, they're off, but our life just goes on here. And also as a, you know, as this is Ultra Q, or this is, you know, this is this is their week. They'll have something new, crazy happen the next week. <laughs> I like yeah. that. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, same. Um. Uh, but. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, we can watch this now. Yeah, and, Absolutely. You know, I mean, and anyone that checks it out and doesn't like it, I mean, it's definitely a, an, a unique approach, and you know, I, I get it, but it's like, you know, the, the important thing to me is that it's out there for Americans to, to watch and for, for you know, Westerners to watch. 
So um, yeah, it it is very specific. Like I wouldn't necessarily fault someone for not vibing with it the way that I do personally. Um, but I I am, you know, I think I think again. Christopher Marty and I were talking about it and you know it's like we're both just like yeah we're really thankful something this weird ever happened <laughs> yeah you know this like just so offbeat um like there's I, I there's not really anything else quite like it in the genre mm-hmm. yeah and I mean the older I get you know the more exciting it is to either have a new thing like that's off the wall like you know something like say colossal which speaking of colossal might as well i mean that's basically an ultra q movie (laughs) without the ultra q title but that uh, is correct (laughs) but um colossal yeah but but you know the more i i I am kind of attracted to these kind of weird one-off takes on 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 things just because like you know, it's even even the ones that don't necessarily work very well. It's like I, you know, I I always want to kind of see. You know, after a after so many Godzillas and Gamoras, I mean, you can only do so much to keep those franchises spinning. Well, you know, and and to me, one of the things that I really loved about getting to see this is like as a like speaking as a filmmaker, um, Jisoji is really who showed me like how much potential like kind of unexplored potential even the the kaiju genre has and i feel like there's a lot of people who kind of like well i mean they've kind of done all the monster stories but then you have like stuff like this movie or like like Jisoji's like the butterfly the the butterfly's dream from ultraman max which is like this very high concept sci-fi philosophical yeah well, well yeah look like, at look at what yeah. someone like Jisoji could inject into a half hour children's tv episode you know i mean even the original ultraman stuff like the jamila episode i mean this is a kid's saturday morning show that this guy is able to really make into something more than that really and 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 not not to downplay the contributions of other people who aren't Josoji, but yeah like yeah like Josoji when i when i saw his episodes like ultraman max and and got further into ultraman that's where i decided like you know I, I very much just, just Soji as a filmmaker is what made me want to be a, a filmmaker and like focus on like kaiju movies. It's just like wow, there's so much that can be done that people aren't really even trying, and that's one of the reasons I love Colossal is because it does take this very strange, offbeat thing and uses giant monsters to explore it. You know, um, so yeah, I. Yeah, I can't. I can't heap enough praise onto Jisoji's kaiju work and and this film included. So yeah. in my case, it's it's great to see something new like Colossal, but it's what but what's better is to see something old. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too. You I know, mean, especially like something that you hear about for all these years, and yeah. You know, and before I watched it, I was even thinking, you know, even if I come out not liking this thing, I'm just happy I'm able to see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Y- you know, an, an analog would be, like, I've seen all of the 70s Godzilla movies a million times. That's why I was so dang happy when Daigoro vs. Goliath got fan-subbed, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. So, it's it's a similar deal of, like, this is this is something in that that time period that... Uh, you know, when Godzilla versus Bialante was coming out and stuff like that. Uh, and um, 
we're we're kind of filling filling in those gaps in terms of availability uh, for something that you know we have not been able to see, but it is of its of its age. Like um, you know, just we're not going to see another '80s '90s Godzilla movie ever. No, but this is not. You know, in some ways, it's very different. But in some ways, there is an overlap there. You know, it's it's got the sort of the sort of aesthetics of that, especially you know, um, the the sort of the stuff that would become used in the Gamera trilogy, the stuff that was being used in the '80s Godzilla movies. You know, it's 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 akin to those, and yeah. we're not going to see a whole lot of new productions that ever look like that again. Yeah, no, like, like one of the things that I kept saying whenever I finally got to see it is it really does feel like that missing link between Biollante and Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, because there's whatever was going on in the 90s Godzilla movies, I feel like that was kind of a regression even, or like a, a weird water treading moment. And to me, the Ultra Q movie feels like, oh, this this feels like the proper evolution here, from here to here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, and, and just given how much I love the visual stylings of Godzilla 84 and Godzilla versus Biollante, like to finally get a third movie in that, like, like that same film stock and like set dressing style, you know, like it was, it was magnificent. <laughs> um, you know, like even if I hadn't loved the movie, like like Bird said, like it's it's amazing to finally be able to see it. Yeah. Um. Again, I will stress: if you're one of those people that is all were Godzilla, um, there is a manga by Akio Josoji that came out a couple months before this did about a reporter that gets involved with an alien lady with a sports car and goes off with her and then there's an Eritrea Mataro thing that goes on, so. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, I dig the movie and I guess, you know, we can get into our ratings uh, if, if anyone uh, is ready for that. Sure. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm. Oh, God, I was gonna say we're we're gonna start with Matt since he's been quiet, and then we'll do Amanda since she's been quiet, and then the rest of us blabbermouths will do ours. Okay. Uh, so again, state of mind and all that. I started. I I gave this like a two and a half on Letterboxd. I think, I think it's really at least a three trending upwards. And and as I mentioned before, I'm gonna give it another shot. Um. But yeah, I think um, it, it's a recommendable three. I, I am very much in the same boat as what's been mentioned. Like, I, I'm happy that this happened. I'm happy that the movie's available now, whereas before it wasn't. And even if like, even if I somehow go down and say I hate this movie, like I'm just happy that I actually had a chance to see it because I, I didn't think that was going to happen for the longest time. So, yeah. All right, Amanda, what do you got after watching this seven million times? What? <laughs> Um, I would say it's at least a four out of five for me. Um, you know, it's it's really unique. It's really atmospheric. It does a lot of interesting things. Um, 
I'm just I was I was also looking up the reviews on uh, Yahoo Japan out of curiosity, and I see they have ranked it a 2.8. So that's a little harsh. Out of five or <laughs> ten? Uh, out of five. Okay. All right. Uh, huh. Well. Um. Well, I guess I'll go next. Uh. Yeah. No. I. I did all the all the positive stuff. Everyone's been saying. I'm. I'm on board with. Um. And uh, I've watched the movie twice now. And the first time I came in at probably a three and a half. And I'm still gonna s- stick with a three and a half. I. There's, I, I could see myself edging up to a four on further rewatches, but uh, there's still a couple things where I'm, I'm still not ready to get to that four yet. You know, Amanda mentioned earlier, you know, it's a little long in the tooth, and I definitely feel that. Um, I think especially in the first act, um, you could probably trim a lot of stuff in there, because that's when it's like you're going from one site to another site to another site, and basically kind of almost coming to the same conclusions after each one, so, you know, I think maybe trimming it a little bit there would maybe, um, you know, get, get the movie really cooking faster, um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I think it takes a little long to kind of get, get where it's going, but once it gets there, it, it really sticks the landing and you know i love the more um that you know they they gave it that more cynical kind of ending that you know you didn't really get with the, the original tv show um so yeah i'm 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 still at a three and a half but i'm i'm i can see myself getting to a four probably no higher than that though but uh all right jared kevin what you guys are left here i'll let kevin go first yeah um so i've seen it basically three times now i think i have enjoyed it more each time that i've seen it you know of course the first time i watched it was without subtitles so i might have how given do you even my... do that shut why, up why did you do that shut up why would you do that it was it was it was a bit of a struggle um you know i i you know i i think what i say in the review that i have in my book is like i like this but it's difficult to understand it <laughs> thankfully with the with the subtitles it is it is cleared up quite a bit and then uh, a rewatch after the first watch with the subtitles I'm, I'm finding more things that i'm i'm kind of you know piecing things together as i kind of digest the movie a little bit so i'd say i'd probably be in the three and a half to four range um you know i'm 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 trending trending up on it um, I, I enjoy it. I, I, I might need to take, you know, take a little bit more time, a couple more watches through to really feel like I've got it all and, and maybe read a couple of very thick books on Japanese folklore and culture and things so that I can feel like I, so that when somebody sits me down and asks me about, you know, well, how does, how does it, the robe fit into this i can be like oh oh well that's obvious you know <laughs> uh I, I i guess me now yes sir. Uh, so i i'm gonna give it five legends of celestial maidens out of five um I think I gave it. I gave it a four and a half on Letterbox, but honestly, I just kind of feel like fuck it. I love it. Um, it's one of those things where it's like I could nitpick things, but I just I love its existence and I vibe with it so much. 
Um, but yeah, five out of five. I, I and I, I do not judge anyone for rating it lower than that. Um, I think that is very specific to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just like. I, I like that it's kind of like I kind of like the slowness of it. I, f- I find it kind of hypnotic. Um, I just recently watched uh, Until the End of the World, which is a five-hour movie, and like I had to do it in two sittings, but also I wouldn't cut anything. Like so, like I feel like a good movie that that, that I, I I only describe it as hypnotic, you know. So I'm I'm into that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, and like I love the the Nagida sequences, and I love that it's like another like '80s style kaiju movie that I never thought we'd get, you know. Like cause it was always like, oh, there's Godzilla '85, and then Biollante, and then Godzilla vs King Ghidorah happens, and I don't know what happened, but then there's everything after that. Oh God! <laughs> um, so it's it's nice to have a third film in that kind of visual style, but also, 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 it's Akio Jisoji. And like his very specific visual style, and it's just layer on top of layer on top of layer, and I love it. <laughs> uh, should we forgot to mention the guy that plays June was the uh, the kid's uncle in Godzilla vs. Hedera? The uh, oh yeah, the, oh, uh, yeah. Oh shit! I thought he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. <laughs> yeah, the uh, he's the guy um, that. Uh, Hedera kills on the mountain and then nobody mentions that he died. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I also add, if we're, if we're talking about cast, um, the guy who played Hamano, the, the, guy, the, the guy that everyone's like chasing after in the movie, um, he very prominently, he has a, a he's in um, Ultraman Nexus as one of the, the higher ups of TLT. Um, so he he's a recurring character. He's not every episode, but he's 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 majority of episodes he shows up, and then he also shows up uh, as a guest star in one of the episodes of Ultraman eighty. So okay. I thought that was fun. I really like him a lot. Looks like he's showed up in Common Rider uh, Drive and uh, Ultraman Gaia also. Oh, nice. Ultraman. I don't remember him in Ultraman Gaia, but I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I feel like I feel like when I find out what he played in Ultraman Gaia, I will be kicking myself because I only watched it recently. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, so you have it, Ultra Q the movie. Uh, it's out there, um, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm comfortable saying, you know, I mean, reach out to us, and you know, we will point you in the right direction. Um, but no, I mean, it, it's worth checking out. I'm glad it's out there. Um, so pat on the back for, uh, Amanda for doing the hard work, Jared for doing the other work and the rest of us for <laughs> paying for it. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think it was worth it. And I think, I think, uh, people listening, um, should check it out. And, uh, I guess yeah. we'll, we'll kind of end there. Jared, Kevin, Amanda, thank all of you for, uh, humoring us by, by showing up. This is exciting. I've been listening to y'all for a while. And I've known your dumbass since... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, well, you, Jared goes... Me and Matt go back with Jared all the way on the Monster Zero forums from, like, geez, 2004? <laughs> you know, I, like, I joined Monster Zero in 2003. Yeah, so, I mean, we probably, you know, have... It, it, 
been familiar we, with each other and yeah. corresponding in some way since then on and off over the years so um yeah. all right well uh i guess we'll get out of here and uh um yeah everyone have a have a good night have a good night later yeah. you. Send you guys Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.